Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller of The Bulwark. Before we get started, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, give us the thumbs up. When you're done, go over to thebulwark.com and sign up for all of our stuff. Tim is writing great pieces there every single week. Charlie Sykes writes a phenomenal morning newsletter that you actually shouldn't be starting your day without. I write stuff. We do so much content. Come get all the best content and all the guest word, all the best words from the bulwark. Hey guys. Hi. What's up? Well, Donald Trump went on Tucker Carlson's show last night. Is it a substantive exchange of ideas? Well, I mean, I guess we're back to kabuki land. Is he rolling out a new policy? Did he have a new substantive white paper that he was going to roll out? He came out with uh, solve entitlement reform with this one weird trick. <laughs> you know, so I guess Tucker is back to to doing the kayfabe. Yeah, I really love Trump. And uh, there's a, a, several things to unpack. But I guess the most interesting thing is Trump going on and on basically unprompted about his three favorite dictators and how top-notch they are and how Xi Jinping and Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin are all just top-shelf talents and intellects and minds and people. And we we are not at our best over here in America. I mean, we're like the gang who can't shoot straight. I was watching the Lakers and the Timberwolves last night instead of this. I had, a, I had some counter-programming. Can we see? Can I see it? Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's go to the tape. President Xi is... A brilliant man. If you went all over Hollywood to look for somebody to play the role of President Xi, you couldn't find it. There's nobody like that. The look, the brain, the whole thing. We had a great relationship. You know, when he first came to Mar-a-Lago, he came the first day, he was there for a few days. We were going to have a fifth. It was so organized by them and by us, but by them. Very boom, boom, boom. Everything's like business, no games, you know. They don't say, gee, how did the Yankees do last night? Oh, that was a wonderful, they don't the care. Germans. They don't care about anything. I said, do you ever go to a Broadway play? I'll take you to one. Do you ever have plays like, do you ever go, no, I don't, I don't no. He's all, no this is business. So These are game players, there. right? I like it, you know, in a way I like it. You have no life, but that's what he likes. Yeah. Top of the line smart, top of the line. Top of the line. Top O the line. I don't know what you're so mad about. This is obviously Donald Trump cares about the underrepresentation of Asian men in media. And he thinks that in there the should movies. be a movie about Xi. It's like the only Asian guy I know in the movies is Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't look at all like Xi. You know, like we need some, you know, we need different body types as well. We need plump Asians in the movies. We don't just need these ripped Kung Fu Asians. We need all types. I've not actually seen the rest of it. It goes on, though. I, oh, I read the transcript Putin, in Charlie Sykes' newsletter. It goes on from there. Top-notch. He starts talking about how top-notch they are, how strong. The Putin one really, really caught my eye. If you want to really understand Donald Trump's, you know, just high-level thinking that he's got going on, I, I marked down the transcript here of this one. It's, uh, you can't beat Russia. Russia right now, I'm not saying anything out of school. Because I read it in one of our newspapers. <laughs> Epoch Times. <laughs> so, you know, it's probably fake news. But maybe not. I don't think it is. It's like, it's just, he's all over the place. It's like he says the word newspaper and it triggers the thing in his head. And he's like, wait a minute, I've got I've to do a little bit of a fake news bit about this <laughs> before I come back around to my point about how no, Russia is unbeatable and unstoppable. 
um, which is not not what I've been reading among Kathy Young's reporting in the Bulwark and other places. But Tucker just has to sit there and, and giggle. Yeah. So I think there's a very meta lesson here, which is that what is Tucker doing? Trump loves dictators. Dictators love their state media that just sit there and nod at whatever insane things come out of their mouths. Did you get a hole in one, sir? He said, sir, like 5,000 times. And he just sat there with this, that like, it was like, just he just like nodded and giggled and it wasn't like an actual interview. On the other nights, isn't Tucker a China hawk? This is the other thing I'm sitting here listening to. And I thought the whole thing is that, you know, him and Tucker aligned on Putin. So I wouldn't have expected any pushback on Russian supremacy. But on the China part, when he's talking about how brilliant she is and, how wonderful and how great the relationship is. It wasn't just a compliment. It's one thing you can understand. You know, Tucker has the authoritarian impulse, maybe more than an impulse. So you can understand how he wouldn't, you know, want to instinctively push back on, you know, lavish praise of dictators. But the part about how, oh, it's not just lavish praise, it's I love them. It's I loved working with China. Got along so well. Like we had a great, and he doesn't know the word bilateral, but we had a nice bilat, you know, together. We worked, you know, we were a team. That's like the, every other night on Fox, the whole thing is China's a menace. We got to crack down on them. You know, the NBA, if one NBA player says something nice about China, you know, we do four nights on it. I get calls from reporters sometimes where they're like, Trump holds this position, but he also said this. And like, isn't that untenable? And I just laugh and laugh. Like, this guy manages to contradict himself within the same sentence, within the same interview many, many times. Nobody's looking for consistency from him. He can just get away with it in the way that nobody else can. And partly that's because no Republicans are going to try to make him pay for it, right? right? I mean, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis aren't going to come out and go to town over this, are they? Oh, Mike Pompeo might make a side comment if he's asked, if he happens to be on a, one of his globalist panels this week, right? Um, you know, but uh, he's not even in the race yet. Uh, no one's going to actually go out and proactively do a campaign to, to challenge him. There's an absurdity about all of this, of course. And, but, you know, there's the seriousness. There's the one level of seriousness that Donald Trump might be president again, which is very serious. But the other thing that I think it speaks to from a policy standpoint is just how easy they are rolled over on China. Oh, yeah. I and mean, we've discussed this before, right? But it's like, that's all fake. There's so many layers of fakeness to it. It's like Tucker, who despises Trump, is like <laughs> giggling and sucking up to him. You know, the party now says that, oh, well, the one place that we do want to still be tough on foreign policy is on China. But Trump starts talking about, no, actually, we'll just, you know, me and she'll just cut deals back room. It'll be fine. Like, we'll just have a dictator, you know, a little cuddle puddle. And that'll be fine. And and no one will object to that either. Right. Like, there's no reason to think that any of these guys actually say what they believe about even their most convicted, seemingly convicted policy proposals. There is one person in all of this who is saying exactly what he believes, and that's Donald J. Trump. You know, you want to talk about fake. How about the audience? How about the Fox audience, which must know what this host of Fox actually thinks about Donald Trump because they've they've seen the texts, right? No, there they is don't. no upside. They don't know. They, Wrong. I, I find it impossible to believe that in all of their travels on Facebook, these elderly boomers have not come across the text from the Dominion lawsuit. I, I just can't can't believe that. Okay. And they then go and sit there and accept this. The Fox people are being fake. The Fox viewers are being fake. The only person who has the courage of his convictions here is Trump himself. And I think this is why he wins, right? Because he is, whatever else you want to say about him, he's authentic. Like he's, 
He's just telling you he likes these strong men. He really likes, you know, that Kim Jong-un, you know, a lot of people when they inherit stuff, they just waste it, right? They throw it away with their, you know, look, look at my idiot son, Eric over there, right? But that Kim Jong-un, he really, you know, he gave him an entire country at age 28. Strong, and tough. he just, uh, he just murdered as many people as he had to, to keep them in line. And they're very tough, industrious and hardworking people. You know, I, uh, I mean, this this is the part where the serious, where like it goes from absurd to you're like Kim Jong, like he's a genocidal maniac. Yeah, like, he he murders people. This is why, like Ron DeSantis, like when he did the territorial skirmish, and then like he needed to do like his cleanup on aisle, you know, twenty twenty four. Like he made sure to say Putin is a war criminal because that is the other side of the coin on these things. And Donald Trump never, never says, mm, you know what. But she has these concentration camps, and that's not good. Like, he never tosses a thing out for the decent side of things. No. And, and nobody, like, who have you heard today? Who among Republicans today have come out and condemned any part of that interview? Another interesting thing about, to me, about DeSantis, right? When DeSantis came out and called Ukraine a territorial skirmish, they were on him, man. The Mitch McConnell wing of the party was all over Ron DeSantis, yelling at him, publicly condemning what he said. You heard anybody say anything today about nope. uh, Trump just uh, kissing up to all these dictators on Tucker? Crickets. Crickets. Right. Oh, this is the other advantage that he has going to primary. So going back to Jeb in 16, you know, I, I keep getting all these PTSD flashbacks during the early DeSantis campaign, like that are things I've tried to you know, put in the recesses of my mind and not re-remember again. But like one thing that comes up just right now, and you said that, Sarah, is uh, you remember the Jeb Megan Kelly interview? This was also in our pre-launch where Jeb gets asked about the Iraq war. Megan Kelly says something like, knowing what you know now, would you still have gone back into Iraq? And that question came as like, I forget, it was like maybe the third follow-up on Iraq. And Jeb was mm. already in like arguing mode and just like talked right over her and was like, well, you know, gave whatever talking points he had, which were bullshit, by the way. Um, but they were the typical politician bullshit talking points, right? Which is like, oh, I'm going to answer the question you didn't ask and I'm going to answer a different question that, you know, where it talks about, well, you got to consider the, okay. So he does that, but on the tape, it like looks like he says yes, right? Because he was like arguing with her. It looks like he says, yes, I still would knowing what we know now. We spend like five days of like trying to fix that, right? Like Jeb has to do another interview and then he gets a question again. And then, you know, people are now digging down into the particulars of that. Like what I want to get at, what do you mean knowing that you know now? Like knowing everything, knowing the WMDs. There were a hundred think pieces in the intervening period. So you just have to deal with all of these nitpicky follow-up questions and you should have to deal with them, right? Like policy is important, policy matters. Uh, Ron DeSantis should have had to deal with this uh, given his ridiculous authoritarian statement that he sent into Tucker, basically supporting the Russians. But Trump doesn't, right? Trump can just give word salad, gobbledygook about how Chairman Xi, like, you know, you couldn't cast him because he's so brilliant. And then the chat, we're tough on China, but we also love them. And, and he doesn't have to deal with that. And that is just an, an asymmetry that Ron DeSantis is stuck with because he's a normal politician. Well, what Ron DeSantis does have, though, to his advantage is right now he's a sitting governor. And so he can uh, punch immigrants to make Republican voters happy which is what he seems to be gearing up to do with his proposed immigration bill coming up. Tim, do you, do you want to give the quick tour through this or do you want me to, to do it and then you go? I'll do it because okay. I've got an article coming out on this tomorrow, um, hopefully tomorrow. We'll see. Don't hold me to it, people. You know, just refresh the bulwark.com. Maybe it'll be out Friday. But the gist of the bill is, you know, there's a lot of kind of it's a grab bag. 
anti-immigration bill that has a lot of stuff in other places that you see in other states. But, but the things that I, I think are worth zeroing in on, number one is language about how you are not allowed to harbor or transport undocumented mm. immigrants. And if you're caught harboring or transporting undocumented immigrants, then that's a third-degree felony up to years in jail. How about feeding? Are you allowed to feed undocumented immigrants or do you go to jail for that as well? If you give them a sandwich? It depends on where. If you're in a home, if you're in your own home, probably not. Oh, yes, that's uh, right. If you're at yeah. a restaurant and you – yeah, but maybe it's the restaurant owner that, that is guilty. So the, the interesting thing here is it's under the auspices of, of human trafficking, right? So you get your little QAnon uh, wink and you also get the – oh, the serious conservatives can come in and be like, well, this is a problem. We need to crack down on the human traffickers. We need to just crack down on the cartels that are bringing people across. And there's something to be said for that. We do need to crack down on cartels that do real human trafficking. The problem is that when you read the actual bill, it's very similar to the don't say gay thing, where it's like the interpretation is very vague. An example I give, right, for example, is back when I was doing, you know, some tutoring for the Guatemalan asylees. Like the, one of the kids I worked with, his brother was undocumented, right? They all lived in the same house. Most of them had come in legally through the Obama rule um, back in 2014. But, you know, one of the siblings, for various reasons, couldn't come at that time and ends up coming to be with the family uh, illegally. So if I'm driving the kid I'm tutoring and his brother home, right, from school, like that criminalizes me per se. Now, really, are they going to criminalize me? Probably not, right? Because I'm uh, there is a two tiered system of justice, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a white guy with resources to have a lawyer. But what if it was the kid that was tutoring that I was tutoring that was driving his brother? His English is bad, you know. His brother is undocumented. He shows documentation. No, like he's going to get targeted, right? Like they're going to get targeted. And so the whole thing is to put a chilling effect on this entire community. You know, if, if there's anyone in the community that's undocumented, then it's like you get nervous. The other element to the bill is the hospitals now have to report, if you go into the hospital, your immigration status, right? So again, the chilling effect. Now these people who are here undocumented are like, what does the dad do in that family that has an undocumented kid? The kid's sick, and you're trying to decide, do I take him to the hospital? Do I not? Like, not only might my kid get reported now, but I might get in trouble for transporting him and housing him, right? It just, like, creates all of these nefarious, like, second-order effects that, that, like, the whole purpose of it is to intimidate immigrants. So on the substance of it, the bill's terrible. The politics of it are probably okay because you can just paint it as an anti-human trafficking thing and a law and order thing that is in line with very similarly, we probably could have, you know, had this exact same conversation around don't say gay, but you just kind of replace the word gay and put an immigrant, you know, similar with some of his other, the other provisions. And I think that there's probably a worthy conversation just having about this DeSantis legislative session, which is touching all these boxes. The immigration is just the latest. Well, that's because when you say like it, the only intent is for it to have a chilling effect, or maybe you didn't say only, but I would say like, actually there's two, like they don't actually care that much about the substance, right? These are messaging. They don't even care if this law goes into effect. Right. These are messaging pieces of legislation. It's about Ron DeSantis saying, this is how I feel about immigrants. I'm on law and order immigrant guide. The same way that the don't say gay bill, which you could drive a truck through the loopholes in that. And like, if you actually thought about it for five sure. seconds, how it could be applied. And the only way you're going to find out what the word instruction means is when teachers start getting sued for it. And the CRT bill too, yeah, right? I mean, that's this right. Is a, yeah. All these things, which have, by the way, mostly been held up by the courts because they're not constitutional. And this is actually why I think he's struggling with his national candidacy is like down in Florida, he doesn't have to, he's like so in control and in command and like gives access to the only people he wants in the media that like when he gets pushed back on the don't say gay bill, he's like, oh, you, you want to teach 
gender identity to kindergartner's groomer. Oh, you want human traffickers, Tim Miller? Like, that's how he goes on offense. And I think some of it might be like national media, like that might be a little harder to get away with once he's out of this session because people will challenge him on some of the merits of it in ways that I think might not be happening down there in Florida and which he might not be ready for. But that is all these bills are. These are messaging bills for him to sort of create the space that he is intending to occupy. Here's the other thing that has worked for DeSantis is that he had a two-track governorship up until this session. Like, unlike some of these other, like, buffoons who are all for show, DeSantis had, like, a secret Jeb track governorship and a Fox track, right? Like, where he did stuff that, like, regular people liked. And part of it was benefited by you know, all these states have huge influx of money from the governments thanks to the COVID relief. But, right, but, like, he gave yeah. teachers increase in pay. And, you know, like, there was COVID, right? He like, like cleaned up the Everglades, right? So he had this Jeb track that, like, people, normie Republicans who were turned off by Trump in the suburbs liked. But then he had this performative, Fox track about all this stuff like you guys are saying isn't much of it doesn't even get affirmed by the courts much of it doesn't even go into law right like it's just oh this gives me a chance to have a press conference to yell at some reporter and to get on Fox to talk about it the problem is a national campaign is all the Fox track right like people don't care about the stuff that was on the Jeb track like you know his Everglades reform isn't part of the campaign right and so like it's all this stuff that has no actual substance beneath it and it's just this performative cruelty, performative anti-compassionate conservative, you know, kind of policies. Um, the one thing about the immigration thing that I just think is worth mentioning is unlike the Stop Woke Act, which will never go into law, like this probably will and probably will affect people. I went back to find this. One of the first things I wrote for the book back in 2019 was about this kid, Francisco Galicia, who was in Texas, who this happened to. His brother was undocumented. He was documented. He was driving him. He got put in jail. And now in that case, it was illegal what Texas was doing. That's what I was writing about. But Florida's trying to make that legal. This one, assuming it goes into law and isn't get, doesn't get changed because there's time between now and when he signs it to make it more tailored to human traffickers. So, so this one is a little bit different in that regard that there are like real like negative effects, but most of this stuff for him has just been cotton candy. Cotton candy for evil people. Governor DeSantis has a new potential rival because Senator Tim Scott of South Kakalaki has announced that he is exploring his presidential run and see what that groundswell of draft, draft Tim Scott stuff looks like. Sarah, can you just go? I yeah, want to yeah, hear did, everything did, you have to say about this. Did you watch his launch video? Did either of you watch it? I haven't watched it. You should watch it. Okay, I will. So here's the thing. It's like weird. It's weirdly inspiring on like two ends, right? Because he, it, to me, he's hitting notes that I like, which is all about how good America is. He's kind of starts out with this, like we fought a civil war and it was for the soul of the country and our, our souls were good and the good guys won and people like him have this great thing. And then he talks about the radical left who are filled with grievance and who hate America. Mm. And, and like, I was sitting there being like, but you're talking about your own party now. Like, like <laughs> if you listen to the middle part where he starts trying to define the left, it is just projection on the modern day Republican party. They don't think America is great. And I'm listening to Donald Trump praise all these dictators and talk about how, you know what the real problem is? He tells this story. People ask me, who's the biggest enemy? Trump, Mr. Trump, sir, who is our biggest enemy? Is it China? Is it North Korea? Is it Russia? He says, no, it's from within. It's us. We're the bad guys. But Tim Scott, who by the way, said that he supports all of everything Trump did, all the time. He's running with this optimistic vision. I'm pro-optimistic vision. 
watching it was for me such a trip because it's it's 2015. Sarah Longwell's all in on that guy. But I have to ignore what I've seen over the last eight years to to buy it. Also, this guy's going to get crushed. I am quite interested in the the dynamics of the South Carolina primary with both Tim Scott and Nikki Haley. There's somebody released a South Carolina poll this morning. I don't know if either of you have it. No. Uh, and combined, so DeSantis is at 20, Trump's at like 45. And combined, Nikki and Tim Scott are getting like 25%. Ooh. There it is. I got, I got it. It's Trump yep. 41, DeSantis yep. 20. By the way, the South Carolina primary has predicted everything, mm-hmm. you know, always on, you know, it's, it's the most predictive. So Trump being a 41 is notable. Uh, DeSantis 20, there Haley 18. Telling you. That's better than I would have thought. Scott 7. Scott 7. Pence 5. Pompeo 2. Sununu 1. Winthrop University. So 25 together. Now, who are they yeah. taking from there? DeSantis probably. I assume from Meatball Ron, right? No, I think, I mean, probably a little bit of both, honestly. Yeah. But here's the thing. Those two, and I said this whenever Nikki Haley announced, and I, I think I can't remember if I got pushback or not on this idea of like Nikki Haley thinks she's going to be in a position at that point, right? With her 18%, somebody's got to give her something to get her out of there. But if Tim Scott starts eating that too, they're all taking from DeSantis. Not entirely because I, I think Trump's number two for a lot of people as well. But the point is, Ron DeSantis cannot consolidate against Trump if people like that are in the race through South Carolina and these early primary states. You just can't. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there is some Trump secondary things, but you know, again, he's at forty-one, so he's got to get nine percent out of that other group. Yeah, could he get nine out of the twenty-five points? Yeah, I think he could. Yeah, before you get into the question, GV, I just I just want to throw this out there because I don't I didn't know this, so maybe everybody doesn't know this. Sarah, I'm sorry that I'm about to do this to you, but uh, are you aware that Tim Scott is a virgin? Excuse what? me. Tim Scott is a virgin. Are you aware of that? That's just a, just a fun fact. I just want to tell throw me out more. There. Why do you know this? <laughs> okay, because I um, got a uh, early read. This is a free promo for Ben Terrace uh, at the Washington Post. I have to read his book before it comes out. It's coming out soon. It's a great book. I've, I feel horrible right now. I'm blanking on what the name of the book was called, but uh, it's by Ben Terrace, and we'll put it in the notes what the name of the book is so you can pre order. And it's kind of like an updated this town of Mark Leibovich that does like some vignettes about various people. One of the people in the vignettes is Tim Scott's chief of staff. It's a pretty interesting woman, actually. That's just one of the topics. And Tim Scott had said that he was a virgin, that he was saving himself for marriage previously, a couple of years ago. And Ben kind of followed up on it. And I mean, I guess it wasn't it wasn't verified. It wasn't verified that he was still a virgin. But he did not back away from his statement that he was saving himself for marriage. It is so funny how I watched that whole video. And never noticed. And you wondered if he was no, a virgin? No, no, no. I never noticed he didn't have, like, I never noticed he didn't have a wife and kids in there. And yeah, now that you say yeah. it, I'm like, oh, he's not married. But he is in his 60s. Yeah. So I Tim Scott is 60? He's, I think so. I think he's like okay, 60. So I, look, my immediate takeaway from this is that How there's no is way this? Trump picks him as VP. Trump would never pick be, a virgin. This is why I had the, to bring the, this up. The, because 57. He's 57. Don't be bumping right, him up right, three years. Right, you're very sensitive about people's age. Yeah. <laughs> Donald Trump is not going to learn this about Tim Scott and say, I'm going to pick this sexual wacko weirdo with my, <laughs> no, well way. Right? This is. Yeah. Trump's not picking a virgin. This is VP. This is, this is why I brought it up. Because this is a VP. Yeah, well, I don't know that it's his virginity. I'm not going to, I don't want to, I think, <laughs> good for him if. Uh, good for him. No, no this no, is not. I, this is a comment about yeah, Trump. This is not me right. saying that makes Tim Scott a weirdo. It's the Trump would find sure. it bizarre, right? 
I also find it a little weird, but but yeah, I, but I'm speaking mostly about Trump. Whatever, I forget that part. I, I did notice in his ad, like I was there for the optimistic bits about the country, but like it was pretty religious. It was actually a, quite a religious. I, I, I it filled with. He's reading the Bible at one point. He makes a specific sort of Judeo-Christian ethic that we were founded on, and this is where Mike Pence and Scott and a bunch of these people like they have not grokked. Maybe there in the Bible Belt of South Carolina, his 8% like really matters to him to see him holding the Bible. But like, I don't know that these guys have caught up, that this is just not, does not matter anymore. That like, you just have to show that you're going to take an order here or there, not from the almighty, but from his surrogates on earth. And as long as you do that, like, cool, we don't really expect, you can be Donald Trump. You can be married three times. You know who else hasn't really got this, it seems like, is the evangelical grass tops that brought Donald Trump. Charlie's podcast with Tim Alberto is really good. You should listen to it if you haven't. And there's this, like, category of earnest evangelical pastors, our Russell Moore and that crowd, who said no and who are stalwart about this and either said no to Trump or just didn't go along with it and, you know, focused on the religious side of the religion, right? Okay, you have that category. And then you have, like, the MAGA grifter totally... like that that crowd yeah okay you got that crowd right but then there was this like middle category of folks that were a little skeptical at first and then like went wrong with it got their deal and now are out there talking alberta interviews interviewing them and now out there being like i don't know you know trump made some comments about evangelicals recently that we didn't appreciate and i i think maybe we should go on to somebody else and it's like Sorry, fellas. No, like you made your bed. You you made your MAGA bed here and like you are in it. Okay. Listening to that Alberta interview, though, you can see how there are enough people, but it's like anything. It's like you say, oh, there's nobody. It's like it's only 8% of the Republican Party. Well, 8% of the Republican Party is 8 million people, right? You know, so, you know, there are enough people out there to, that talk to Pence and that talk to the Scots and that share that view, right? It's just, it's just about 8%. Yeah, they see them at Sea Island for the AEI donor retreat every year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Look, I'm clowning on Scott. I I don't mean to be because again, I would like to see Donald Trump denied the Republican nomination. If uh, if Same. if Tim Scott was running in the New Jersey primary against Donald Trump, I would register as Republican and vote for Tim Scott with a song in my heart. If Tim Scott was going to be president, I think it'd probably be fine. You know, not my preferred president, but I would not worry about the whether or not we'd have another election in 2028. Right. I'd be like, great. Okay. Right, sure. You know, you can exactly. oppose his policies and do what you want, but you know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But you got to try to be. Yeah. Them. No, I think I, so I'm, I'm, I'm for Scott, if that's not clear. And I honestly, if it wasn't for his, what we've seen, his obvious sort of sycophantic behavior toward Trump and being unwilling to condemn him at any level, like part of it too, is like watching any of these guys make their earnest pitch and their religious pitch after watching them just like, Kowtow to like it just it defies credulity at any level. There's no way to take any of it in. But I mean, he's outright preferable. Like it's not like oh yeah. I don't mean outright preferable. What I mean because DeSantis is to me outright preferable in like the horrible world of options. Scott is something considerably better than that. It would be an amazing turn of events if suddenly the party wanted someone like Tim Scott. Totally. Yeah, but you'd have to try. Here's the other thing: you have to yeah. try. Okay, so this like I can't be I, I can't be on our little niche anti Never Trump podcast. Like, be demanded to like 
you know, puff up somebody who's not even trying, right? Like Tim Scott is, does not appear to me to be trying to be Donald Trump. He's got Larry, whatever his name is, Ellison, putting a bunch of money in and a few people in his ear, you know, telling him that he can do this. And and there's a bunch of wish casters out there being like, maybe the party does want an optimistic vision. And it's like, okay, maybe it does, but you got to like try to win. And and if and if it if everything about your campaign smells like I'm trying to be Donald Trump's VP. That doesn't do a whole lot for me. Fair. Okay, that doesn't, it's hard for me to be like, oh, man, I have an obligation to try to spin this to help this guy. It's like, okay, try to try, and I'll I'll give you an attaboy for that. But so far, what I'm seeing is somebody that's trying to be Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis as vice president, which is not exactly my cup of tea. JBL, you, you were asking a question before, though, that we should answer, because uh, which is like, does DeSantis run at this point? You know what? Sure. Let's, let's ask that. That's exactly what I was going to ask. It's like you're inside my head. I got asked this on TV the other day and I was like, yeah, he definitely does. And again, before 22, I was in the like, why would DeSantis do this? He has four more years. Why would he sign up? But then Trump like looks so weak after the midterms. DeSantis, you know, has this 20 point win, looks really good. And I'm like, all right, he's got to do it now. There's no way. Here's the thing. DeSantis cannot have cut ads with him in a bomber jacket acting like Maverick and say, and, and then God made a fighter. And then bow out of this one. I don't think he's missed his moment per se. I do think that like, this is it though. Like this is his shot. This is his time when he's new enough. Yes, he's young, but I don't think he gets another crack at this if he doesn't take it. Right. He might wimp out, but I, I, which I don't expect. I'm, I'm, I think 98.5% chance Ron DeSantis runs, you know, there's always a reason something might happen, but like, but if he bows out, he's Scott Walker. Because he's too far, he's too deep, right? Like he could have bowed out last year and said, I'm going to wait for next time. I'm going to be a good soldier. But now he's like too deep in this now. I mean, he's basically in a campaign whether he wants to admit it or not. He's already effectively in the race. Yeah. yeah. And so and so pulling out now would be like quitting like Scott Walker. Nobody, there was nobody this time being like, you know, maybe we should give Scott Walker another go. I mean, the, the reason people get a little twisted up around this, I think, is because two things are true at the same time. The first thing is that DeSantis's chances of winning are declining but also they are higher than they will ever be again, right? Yeah. Even, even if they are declining and, you know, even if his chances go down to like one in five, that is still a better chance than he would ever have at some undetermined future in 2028. Speaking of which, did you see the Benji Sarlin nightmare fuel? I can't believe he even wrote that piece. I'm like mad. I, I keep Miss, meaning- Tell me what, I'm sorry, catch me up. It's like, if Donald Trump loses, he'll run again in 2028. <laughs> And it's a whole piece about Trump running again in 2028 because he would be the age Biden is about to be when he's doing it. And there is this like thing. There was this part of me that was like, you're both right, Benji Sarlin. And also, screw you for writing this piece. Like, what are you doing right now? Get out of here with this garbage. <laughs> screw you because I should have written it. Because that's how I felt. As soon as I saw this, I was like, ah, how did I let Benji Sarlin beat me to this cake? God, that is so here's, right. Here's the thing. So I, anyway, kudos, Benji Sarlin. Very rarely am I jealous of a take that's out there. And I'm like, I, that should have been a Tim take, but this was it. What I liked about that is it already presupposed Trump loses, which is nice. <laughs> Number yeah. two, what's funny about it is like, there is something. So I, I was like mad, but there was this part of me that was like, yeah, you know what? He's with you until you die. He's going to Rupert Murdoch. He's going to live to be a thousand and Republicans are going to have to deal with him around their necks. And that's going to be the price of accommodating him forever. He's going to outlive Mitch McConnell and the what's the downside of humoring him. They're all going to find out. Forever. <laughs> yeah. 
I do want to say one thing about this. Did you read the piece? Did you read it while Jim and I were talking really no, quickly? No, but I, I want to give you a peek into the future. Oh, God. One of the knocks on Trump in the Republican primary will be Donald Trump is great and we know he could win, but he could only serve one term. Only four and years. So shouldn't you, years. shouldn't you, shouldn't you? I am telling you, as sure as I'm sitting here right now, Trump is going to be coy about whether or not he can only serve one term. This is true. And he's going to say something like, <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people have said that I was treated I so this. unfairly <laughs> during my first term that I should be given another term because it doesn't even you count. Should try, you should try on this. That this is, that is 100 percent coming. He's going to say the last one was true. stolen for him. So he yes. deserves. Yeah. You know, it is oh, funny when I saw the title of that 28 thing. I thought that's what it was going to be about. I actually thought it was going to be about how Trump was going to say that he could do 28 too. Yeah. You know the voice, right? The voice of it is a lot of people are saying, we're going to be looking into this. Yeah. I'll say something yeah. about this at a later date that's going to make everybody very happy because it's going to be very strong. <laughs> oh, I hate him so much. This is why I hate everybody. I hate all these fuckers. When people are like, why are you so obsessed with this? I was like, I hate all of them for making me deal with this. You are right. That is going to happen. And everybody who got us here, fuck them. Ugh. All right. Uh, I want to talk about Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott, governor of Texas. He announced earlier this week that he is going to pardon somebody. He's about to pardon a convicted murderer, a fellow named Daniel Perry. He was convicted of murder just last week. Literally, it just happened. Did, he, not did like he murder a serial? Is it a serial killer who kills serial killers? Because I, I like those. Oh. Those guys can be okay. All right. Let me let me just lay out the facts of the case for you guys and for everybody listening here, okay? July of 2020, Daniel Perry was an active duty sergeant in the United States Army. He was working a side hustle driving for Uber. There were some Black Lives Matter protests happening in the area of Austin, Texas, where he lived. And when Mr. Perry woke up on the morning of July 25th, he wrote in Facebook, Quote, I might kill a few people on my way to work. They are rioting outside my apartment complex. He then drove to a Black Lives Matter protest. He ran through a red light and drove his car into the crowd there. Used his car as a weapon against peaceful protesters. Not rioters, but peaceful protesters. At this point, a guy named Garrett Foster, who was at the protest, approaches Perry's car to tell him to stop attacking people with his vehicle. Mr. Foster was open carrying an AK-47 across his chest, which is legal in Texas, uh, at which point Mr. Perry shot and killed Mr. Foster. Perry's defense was, he had a gun and I was reasonably afraid for my life. The jury did not buy this for a second. They convicted Perry of murder. And, you know, like 36 hours later, Governor Greg Abbott announces that he intends to pardon this gentleman because it was out of control, woke DAs who brought the case never should have because Texas's stand your ground laws are so sacrosanct that this just can't can't be real. And so if you drive your car into somebody and somebody comes over to you to say, stop trying to kill people with your car, if they have a gun, you can shoot them. That's great. But they may have a gun because they also may be standing their ground or because there's open carry laws. Everybody can just have a gun. And so how are you supposed Everybody's to ground is everywhere. Everyone's ground is everywhere. And the everyone... logic of this is you should shoot first. Yeah, right. Right. This is the logic of this position. And it's insane. And it is a little I mean, I don't understand it. 
And this is why I get, whenever we have our Second Amendment conversations, I get really angry. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And I said, why can't these people just say the truth of their position, which is that the Second Amendment is like the First Amendment in that it's going to cause a bunch of really bad outcomes, but you have to support it anyway. And you like the First Amendment, so you're going to get KKK marches in Skokie, Illinois. You like the Second Amendment, so you're going to get kids murdered in their schools. And I'm sorry, that's just it. But the fact that they don't say that tells me they don't really mean it in the same way that things like this happen. And it seems like uh, we're the rights of the guy who is the, the Black Lives Matter protester who is open carry. It turns out, oh, he doesn't get rights because he's on the wrong side. He's a lib. He's a lib. Can I just make a quick point about the difference between the First and Second Amendment? Yeah. And why one, I think, should be absolutely unfettered and the other not? Because speech won't kill people. There's just such a difference. So like the KKK can march and we accept that as the price of free speech and our free speech allows us to condemn that. The problem with the Second Amendment and the idea that it should be completely unfettered access is that people die. Like the point of the free speech is actually to prevent violence because when people use their speech, they don't use their other violent tendencies, right? They have to talk about it. That's why speech is so good and such a such an important form. And so the Black Lives protests, Black Lives Matter people, they're exercising a very important, their free speech rights, which is not violence. And this other person engaged in violence. Just want to make that distinction and throw it out there. Yeah, one other thing I'd throw out there on that is the nature of speech hasn't actually gotten more powerful and virulent <laughs> since 1776. Mm. If anything, it's maybe disintegrated. I've, if you go back and you know read the Federalist Papers, our speech now is down a few notches from there, whereas the musket power has increased significantly since 1776. That's an, another key another key difference between the two amendments. Uh, just two other quick thoughts, one on the gun broadly. Did you see the story in Florida about the two guys driving with their girls in the back? Oh, yeah, that had a car. shootout. You see this? Yeah. Both of them are packing. They have a road rage. They shoot at each other's cars. Their kids both get hit. Both kids have to go to the hospital. Both kids are injured. Neither of them die, thank God. But, like, this is where we're going. Like, this is the path we're going in, in a constitutional carry world. Like, how do you not see that that is just inevitable that you run into more situations like this? So, anyway, that's just one thought of that. Uh, one on the specific case. The only thing I was going to say is I saw something... In, in the vein of things on Twitter that are useful. Yeah. I saw somebody on there making this distinction where, like, America's always had guns, but we didn't always have gun culture, not the way we do now. And I think that that, that to me, was a crystallizing point because I talk about this with JBL a lot whenever we get into the guns about how I grew up around all kinds of guns. Like, they were just in people's living rooms, like, in a case, like, displayed their hunting rifles or whatever, like, next to the fireplace, like, whatever. And so I didn't have this fear of guns, but also... There was not a gun culture that was like, this is about how macho I am or like whatever. Like people used them to go hunting or had them in a collector's closet or like whatever. But you didn't hear people obsessing about their guns or talking about them or menacing each other with guns or having shootouts right. places. That never happened. And so like the world has changed on this in terms of people's sense of gun culture as a cultural signifier in a way that's, identity, uh, that's- right? Yeah. But that's tagged to a lot of toxic things. There was a culture, right? It's just a different, different kind, kind of, of culture, culture yeah. right? Is what you're saying. Yeah. What we have here, though, is our friend Damon Linker, who uh, is a contributor to one of the many great Bulwark podcasts, which you can find at thebulwark.com. Beg to differ. He wrote about this, and he trotted out a, a popular liberal explanation for what conservatism is. I'm sure you guys have read this on message boards. There must be in-groups whom the law protects but does not bind and outgroups whom the law binds but does not protect. 
And that's basically where we are with the Second Amendment, too. Do you guys remember the case of Philando Castile? Yeah, he was yeah, a black guy, right, yeah. driving by in Minneapolis with a girlfriend, his four-year-old daughter. He is legally carrying a firearm. He's pulled over by the cops. At the very beginning of the interaction on the stop, he says to the officer, hey, so you know, I, I have a firearm. I have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The cop starts screaming out, don't pull it out, don't pull it out. He says, I'm not pulling it out. I'm not pulling anything out. And the cop then shoots him seven times. And the NRA said bupkis about this, right? Because the NRA is not interested in defending Philando Castile. They're interested in, uh, you know, in Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, Thomas Massey and their, their people. And that's what all of this winds up being about. It's about the in-groups and the out-groups. And yeah. when the law itself is being used in states in this way, like, my God, isn't this a problem? I was about to pull up, just bringing it back to the Texas situation, Patrick Chauvinick, who's great, he tweeted this. If this were based on a careful review of the evidence and the jury's decision, I'd be open to that making sense. But that's not what this appears to be. It appears to be solely in response to lobbying by prominent media figures. And that's right. Like, this happened like this. It wasn't like Greg Abbott said, oh, I'm going to have some lawyer in our office go through all the evidence and we're going to have a review and we're going to bring it to a, right? Like we're yeah. going to, we, you have a pardon committee for these types of things, right? Like we're going to review these certain cases, things for whatever reason, this looked like there were problems in the way the prosecution worked. It was 24 hours from Tucker Carlson going on TV and saying this is an outrage and saying we should defend these people and like that the Black Lives Matter rioters are getting preferential treatment and there's a two-tiered system of justice targeting conservative bullshit. It's the next day that Abbott's like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna pardon this. We're gonna look into this. We're gonna get this pardon done. I mean, like that is is the most specific evidence point for what you're saying, right? Like that this has nothing to do with law, right? When it's somebody that is perceived to be on our right. side, you know, as having committed the crime. Sarah, how long do Republicans get to pretend to be the party of law and order with voters and for it to work? get to i mean they will continue to get to voters are just going to keep is this all just like hangover of the 70s i want to answer this question as long as the law and order people are on the side as long as the police are on their side right and so this is in some ways this is how the democrats play into it right it's like if we had joey biden doing his cop funeral thing like he was doing for a long time and he still will do uh, maybe that's different but but yeah, the perception of law and order is not because like, the mass population of Americans have some deep respect for the Constitution and for the parchment paper, right? It's, or for the neutral application of the law. Right. Law and order is standing for, like, the cops are on our team. We got the, we have the yeah. flag now with the blue line on it. Like, we created a new American flag, right? So, like, that is what it is. That is what it's about. I agree with that. And also, right, because that's the FBI and the DOJ and all of these other, <laughs> you know— those are not law and order cops. No. You know, I was doing a focus group the other night with Trump voters and I was asking them about the indictment. And it was funny because there's a bunch of polling that's come out that I've seen shared by a lot of our friends. It's like, good news. 56% of people think Trump did something wrong, broke the law, whatever. And the people in the group, uh, there's like several kind of normies in there, some DeSantis folks. And they were saying, well... You know, look, if Trump really did it and there's a and then a completely independent body finds him guilty and they also hold Hunter accountable and Hillary and Biden and the Clinton crime syndicate, then you can hold Trump accountable. <laughs> the extent to which there's a story that people have told themselves so happy you said that this. people have told themselves a story <laughs> that allows them to not do strictly law and order. It's like law and order with caveats and also defund the people who are holding my people accountable because they're corrupt. 
I saw it's the same poll. Somebody's tweeting. Some God love him resistance person is tweeting. It's like 37% of Republicans even think what Trump did is bad. And I was like, I wonder what percentage of that percentage think that that's good. <laughs> and it's like, there's like 8% of the 37 are like, I think he did something bad and yeah. fuck yeah. And then like another 20% of the 37% are like, I think he did something bad, but eh, we all, but not as bad right. as Hunter. You know, and then there's like 9% of the 37% that are like, he did something bad and that's bad. Right. So anyway, that was just a theory of mine. I'm glad that the focus groups have borne that out. Good show. Long show, guys. Thanks for coming and doing this. Go to thebulwark.com. Sign up for Charlie's newsletter. Sign up for my newsletter. Go listen to all the podcasts. We do them every day, sometimes two a day. We've got a good guest on Sunday. Oh, yeah. we got a very good guest coming on Sunday. All right, guys. See you on Sunday. Bye. Bye. Bye.